Welcome back to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Where'd we go? I'm the Duchess. I'm Chad. We're here covering Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, chapters 112 through 117, or as we like to call it, The Karate Kid, Tamarant Edition. Give me a pair of chopsticks. (laughs) Wax on. Wax on. I'm going to catch whatever weird ass flying bugs they have in this place. And there's some waxing on and off going on. The, uh, things get waxed. In this section. Things get waxed. <laughs> so really quickly, Chad's going to tell you our spoiler policy. It's very simple. The spoiler policy is that we will not spoil anything through chapter 117 of Name of the Wind. Uh, Liz, Wise Man's Fear. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Wise Man's Fear. Liz has read these books several times. This is my first time through. So I do not know what's happening next There you go. You've been spoiled. So really quickly, do you want to remind everyone what happened last section that we talked about? So last section was when we we started out meeting the Cathay. Mind-blowing, huge thing with the Cathay. And then we had an interlude where we got a lot more backstory about the Cathay. And then after that, we come back to Felurian. We eventually leave the land of the Fae and then go back to meet up with the Dungeons & Dragons team. And they start heading their way back to Severin, but not before uh, Tempe gets accosted by several other Aiden mercenaries saying, why are you teaching this dirty barbarian all of our crazy stuff? And then they decide to go to Ademre. Right, and in this section of chapters that we're going to talk about today, basically, Quoth has won the right to be trained in a Demray and not summarily killed, and he goes through an epic 80s-style kung fu training montage, basically. Yeah, it's it's very like American ninja style. What are you doing, round eye? It's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Except he has sex with Mr. Miyagi. Whoa, that's grody. <laughs> did you did you notice the eighties lingo I put in there? I did. I the loved grody. it. Okay, I, I appreciate loved that. It. I, appreciate I, th- it. I think we should do that more. All right, <laughs> works for me. So, overall impressions of this section that we read. So this is a. I mean, this is a section that, on my first read, I was kind of like, okay. It's all right. It's interesting. It's not the best stuff in the world. And I certainly didn't think I was going to be able to pull a lot from it. But when I went back and I reread it, there was a little bit more substance there than I initially thought. I ended up taking more notes than I had anticipated that I would take. I found that overall, the first couple of chapters were more interesting to me than the back half where it gets a little bit more action oriented, or at least a little bit, there's more to talk about there. It's interesting because that was my overall impression on this read through as well. Mm. And I don't know why, but previous times that I've read this book, this has been my least favorite part of any of of either of the novels. Mm. And I've talked to many people who say it is their most favorite and I have never gotten that into it. And if I had to 
really try to put my finger on why that was, I would have said that I've always felt like this section felt manufactured. Like it wasn't bad. There wasn't anything bad that I could point to that I really didn't like. And it wasn't like oh, the scenes with Denna, which were frustrating, but still felt authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Just the characters in this section always felt kind of hollow. It felt like like you could get a really nice piece of factory manufactured furniture and you think it looks nice. <laughs> but then when you put it next to like a handcrafted you know, piece made by an artist, it, it doesn't hold up. And for me, that's how this section always felt in the past. Now reading it through a little more slowly, I definitely picked up a lot more and there were a lot of subtle ties to the greater mystery of the series that I really enjoyed. And so I would say I enjoyed it much more this read through than I ever have in the past. And I think it's sometimes, especially if you're like me and you're a fast reader and you're reading a book that you really love, that you've read multiple times, you tend to glaze over a little bit on the parts that aren't your favorite. Yeah. And this time through having to kind of sit down for this podcast and take notes, I got a lot more out of it than I ever have before. Yeah, my only knock on it, and this is, it's kind of difficult for me to say because much like when we first went to Felorian and the Fae and the chapter sort of ends, or excuse me, our section ends, and we don't have a resolution, and you don't quite know where it's going. So for me, I don't really know where this is going, but I've just spent a lot of time going, okay, why do we need to know this much about the ADEM? Is this going to tie into something? I hope it does, because otherwise I'm learning an awful lot about you know, bow-firing techniques that I don't need to know. Right, and for our listeners at home, I think it may have been difficult looking ahead at this section exactly where we cut it off because it's, it is sort of mid-plot line. Um, yeah. So we may not address some of the questions that were put out to us until next week, um, but we're going to get there. Yep, absolutely. So let's jump into the chapters. Yeah, let's. I like it. Chapter 112 is called The Hammer. Yeah, we get to meet the hammer, don't we? Yes, we do. So the hammer, Greg, obviously. the hammer, the shit. <laughs> Gonna put him in the figure four leg lock. <laughs> obviously, the title, the chapter title refers to Vachette, the hammer, the Adem who is being assigned to train Quoth, and he begins his training with her. And she hits him. I mean, so it's, it's kind of on the nose. Oh, yeah. She hits him a lot. She does, yeah. So is here's a question for you. Is it Vachette, as in Manette, or is it Vachet? It's Vachette. Vachette, okay. Yes, I heard Patrick Rothfuss addressed that one. He's got a neat little pronunciation video. One of the names in there, in this section, I did not hear in his video, so we're just going to have to guess, but Vachette right. is... Vachette. That's canon. It is. So a couple things jumped out at me that never had before. On uh, Right in the beginning of the chapter, there's a quote that I wrote down where he says, he's talking about Hert, and he says, there didn't seem to be anywhere in all of Hert entirely out of the wind. And I yeah, thought, yeah. oh, that's so neat. You know, first he's off the edge of the map, and now he's in the heart of the wind. He's in the city called Hart. It's always windy. Yeah, and I caught that. It's funny because I actually didn't even catch that on my read-through. It's some things that happen in later chapters 
that I was like, wait a minute, this place is always, I was starting to pick up on it. I'm like, this is like the third or fourth time the wind's been mentioned in this section. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, you know? So, so yeah, I, I kind of noticed that in, I guess, retrospect, for lack of a better word. But um, yeah, that is really cool. One of the things that I felt was that I sort of liked Vachette right away. Me too. Like, you know, in comparison to Tempe, who is just difficult to understand. And like, you, Patrick Rothfuss does a good job of sort of giving you a character and feeling like you're dealing with this foreign culture, but it's, and it's difficult and you're in it and you're like, well, that's just kind of what it is. And then you get an ADEM mercenary who actually speaks a turn and is halfway intelligent. And you're like, oh no, that guy was just kind of a knucklehead. <laughs> One thing that I really picked up on that gave me a chuckle this time through were just all the knocks on Tempe. They and I started were... writing them all down. Like <laughs> Tempe is closer to being a sailboat than a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. That was one of my, my favorite. It's not in this chapter, but I'm just going to throw it out there now. He says he has fewer wits than tits. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely my new insult. So right you're going to put that one in the repertoire? <laughs> For sure. So, so Vachette pulls the old classic I want you to go out <laughs> and I want you to find your own switch. And if I'm not happy with it, I'll find one. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, are you going to take me behind the woodshed? And she is. Come on, Paul. She's definitely. I'll never do it again. Absolutely going to take you behind the woodshed. Yeah, that's and pretty I, much happens. I loved how Quoth is, he's so excited to have a teacher who speaks his language and he tries to be clever and brings her a willow switch. Right? <laughs> I think he gets beat with it and it's bad he did not know what was about to happen he had he was like it, it was very much like the scene on the roof with Eladin. yes like, okay okay spike i'll jump off the roof you know <laughs> I, i'll find you the whipping a stick you can you can ask for <laughs> yeah so it was just kind of obvious that quoth he did not know what he was getting into but as soon as he realized what he was getting into, he managed to outsmart her pretty damn good. Yeah, he, he plays a, a pretty big bluff, and it comes off pretty well. So Vachette uh, asks him to bring a stick. He brings a stick. She beats him with it, and she tells him, this is the only lesson I have for you. I'm going to beat you until you leave. You don't belong here. You're going to come back after lunch and bring me another stick. And so when she comes back... He brings her not a stick, but a wooden practice sword, which is going to hurt a lot more and break bones if she hits him with it. And yeah. says, look at my back. It's covered in manly scars. <laughs> Can't scare me. But Do it's your worst. But it's clever because he, he know or he gambles rightly that if she re if this was about hurting him or harming him in any serious way, it would have already been done. Exactly. So he takes a gamble, you know, and it pays off. And pretty much right away, the hammer, not so much the hammer anymore when we get into chapter 113. Right. So his bluff works. And chapter 113 is called Barbarian Tongue. And there's a lot explored in this chapter as far as cultural differences and getting along in a new culture and the importance of language. Um, a quote that jumped out at me right in the beginning was 
kind of tying into something you mentioned a few minutes ago, where he says, Vachette says, I've never had a student offer himself up for a vicious beating in order to prove he's worth my time. And Quoth answers, this was nothing once I jumped off a roof. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I have seven words for this chapter. Tell me. Vachette is funny. Quoth is a whore. Yeah. And that is pretty... uh, that's a pretty adept description of the chapter. So in this chapter, Vachette and Quoth really sit down. The sort of trial by fire initiation is over and really start getting into some deeper discussions about the language. He mm-hmm. gains a little bit more understanding and sort of start his training in that area in earnest. I just like the pieces of information that we start getting about the ADEM. Yeah. Um, namely that there are different schools there are different paths. Yeah, and they don't always agree. They don't always agree. So the path that he is trying to learn now that Tempe followed the school he is currently at is called the Sword Tree or the Latantha path. And it's one of the oldest and it's very more formal, kind of, I think, stodgy and upright than the others. I wrote down some of the other names of, of ones that we pick up throughout the chapters just because I like that. The Path of Joy, The Ribbon, The Chain, The Moving Pool, Passion, Restraint, Aratan Path. I just, I don't know. I just like all those words. So I threw them <laughs> in a lovely little word bouquet They're for you all. They're good words. They're good words. One of the things I like is when she says to Quoth, so you said to Shayan when she asked you where does the Lathani come from, it comes from the same place as laughing. And she was like, that was a really good response. One of my teachers once said the same thing to me. And Quoth acts all embarrassed, and he's like, I I don't know how to tell you this, but I really have no idea where that came from. I was just bullshitting the whole time, you know? And he's trying to just, you know, be like, I don't, I don't understand it, and because I don't understand it, therefore I'm an idiot. You know, just playing that sort of thing we've seen him do in the, in the past. And I think Vachette does a better job of explaining this to him in a way that he can understand than Elodin ever did when she says, oh, wow, you tricked us all. You pulled the answer right from your own mind. You know, like, just like, it, if the answer came from you, it's in there, you know? It, you're just using a different part of your mind than you're used to. Stop beating yourself up because you don't understand every little bit of it. You, you're not gonna understand every little bit of it. You know, and it's, you know, the wind and the conversation with Vachette. At this point, what I see this whole section as being is a way for Quoth to get deeper into his sleeping mind and more connected to the name of the wind through his experiences in a Demray in ways that he just wasn't open to at the university. Right. And it's a little frustrating here to see Quoth almost take a few steps back in regards to his understanding of the sleeping mind. So it's obvious to the reader that he's using his sleeping mind to answer questions about the Lathani, you know, but he's telling himself, oh, but I just don't understand, you know, I'm just faking it, that's not real. After all of his experiences in Faye, where he's seeing all these things that don't make sense, Mm -hmm. and he's experienced grabbing Starlight in his hand, and knows there's more out there, knows knows a little bit more about the sleeping mind. Now it feels like he's taking a step backwards. 
Well, even I feel like he's experiencing more of the sleeping mind. He's getting a little bit more of that being awoken up. He's he's moving more that direction, but he's still he's still more firmly in the old school quote camp of if I can't understand it and I can't write it out in an essay, it's bullshit. Like you know, it's a long road I think for him to go. I don't think it's a he's going to pop up in the fay and he's going to come out the other side of it and be a completely different person. It's it's a little bit more of a slow path. And I think this is another step into helping him to be more conscious of what he's doing rather than having to rely on these crazy emotional survival situations to get in touch with that part of himself. Right. And I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier wanting to know a little bit more about why are we, why are we here? What are we doing in this part of yeah. this fictional land other than just oh that's cool world building but what I see here is well not only a really interesting exploration of cultural differences Mm -hmm. and the importance of language and the importance of fully understanding another culture before you judge the people in it but um, also so a quote that I wrote down was our language is rich with implication so it is easier for us to accept the existence of things that cannot be explained. And I think that's kind of outright saying what you were implying a little bit before. This place is going to be a place for Quoth to deepen his knowledge of the sleeping mind and being able to consciously access it. And now that I say that, I realize that's exactly what you just said. (laughs) But I'm saying it too. It is doubly said, people. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I also loved where he says, okay, well, give me an example. And if you say blue... I'm going to go mad right now. Well, and she uses the exact same example that Elodin used, which is love. Yep. You know, but she does a better, she does a better job of explaining it. I don't know if it's, you know, Quoth receives it better because she's got a nice pair of tits or, or if she actually does a better job. Or Elodin's just a little crazy. Elodin's a little crazy and he's put off by him because he did throw him off a roof. I don't know what it is, but it's real. it's pretty hard to argue with what, she says we also we see highlighted here it's not just a different language between these two cultures it's an entirely different mode of speaking or even like purpose behind communication well that's very highlighted in in their approach to music yeah yeah so the you know the adam language we find is even more nuanced than we thought it's like trying to understand someone who talks with two mouths you know, mm. and uh, the quote that I wrote down was um, a well-spoken sentence in Adam is like a spider web, each strand with a meaning of its own, a piece of something greater and more complex. And how hard it is to wrap your mind around that if you're coming from the Commonwealth or any of these other countries where it's straightforward. And it just reminds me of like similar things we have in our clashes and culture in our world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you have someone from a highly individualistic culture trying to understand someone who was from a highly collectivist culture. And if you don't really take the time to understand what that means, it's so easy to have misunderstandings or just completely muck those things up. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the music thing I thought was very interesting because it, it shows where the different cultures value intimacy and what they find intimate. Yes. You know, that the, the Aturan culture would find sex to be highly intimate about the most intimate thing that you can share. Whereas 
in a dem ray, sex and nudity is, is, you know, it's as casual as shaking hands. They don't think about it at all. But at the same point in time, to them, speaking in their voice is much, much more intimate. And the concept that you would use your voice to sing to somebody is downright pornographic in their mind. You know, and so P. Roth does a good job in this chapter of explaining that and kind of putting you into that mindset so you can grasp it. And, you know, if we talk about comparing, you know, the ADEM to the IL and talking about how those things are similar, yeah, there definitely are a lot of similarities, but you have to give it to P. Roth from a world-building style, particularly as lean as his exposition tends to be, he conveys so much in such a relatively short amount of time. And I feel like I understand the ADEM far better than I understand the IL. Could be a recency effect, but... No, I agree. There is definitely... And again, it comes down to... Are we making up this culture and these people because we think it sounds kind of cool and it would be neat? Or are you trying to say something? And it just feels like Patrick Rothfuss is trying to say something. Yeah. Every part of his world building is deliberate and has a deeper theme and a deeper meaning underneath of it. Yeah. And and like we hinted at last week, you know, one of the things that fantasy does is it allows us to take things in our own society, play with them, kind of abstract them so we can get a sense of it. And when you look at, you know, the Aturan Empire, which is more closely related to our culture, or at least our historical culture, and then you kind of get it from an outside perspective, you can see how, through the the eyes of the ADEM, some of the things that we value and put so much emphasis on, you know, really are kind of arbitrary. Monogamy's a sham, man. (laughs) Look... There's nothing wrong. The man wrong. is pulling the wool over your eyes. There's nothing wrong with doing three people on the hearth in in a row. I'm like, what's the problem? Right? <laughs> as long as you have a blanket. You know, don't want to chap your ass. <laughs> so the other thing. Eh, fewer wits than tits. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that I noticed in this is this is the first reference, but not the last reference that Vachette says about her captain poet king from the small kingdoms. Right. And so I feel like there's something to that. Like what? So what I did is I said, okay, that gets mentioned a couple times. It's got to have some meaning to it. I don't, I don't feel like that's arbitrary. I'm just, I could be just guessing and it could just, I could totally be just, you know, information for the sake of it, but I don't think it is. So I started going back and saying, okay, have we had references? What do we know about the small kingdom? Do we, have we had any references to a a poet king from the small kingdoms? And I started looking back through the book and seeing what I could find. And so I, there was a couple things that I stumbled upon. First, I thought that maybe the, the poet that the mayor references, the one who wanted the rotten apples in his room from Rhaenyra, or however you say that word, I thought, well, is this, could that be the same one? But then I figured out that Rhaenyra, or however you say that name, is actually Inventus, not in the small kingdom, so it's not too far from the small kingdoms. So, okay, that's probably not it. The other references I found, and I thought this was interesting, 
was Denna notes back in chapter 43 of The Wise Man's Fear, and I'll quote here. She says, I've spent some time in the small kingdoms. This is her letter that she writes to quote. I've spent some time in the small kingdoms. I've seen my first ADEM mercenary. She is hardly bigger than me, with quite the most remarkable gray eyes. She is pretty, but strange and quiet and endlessly twitching. And I thought, Whoa. Did Denna meet Vachette? Whoa. Now. I don't know, but that's pretty cool. It's pretty, pretty cool. cool. I mean, I, I don't think that's enough to make any sort of a definitive agreement. They all seem to have gray eyes and twitchy. Vachette seems to be very versed, not just in uh, the the Commonwealth tongues, but also in the culture. So I feel like she would be able to converse with Denna in a way where she didn't seem so strange and exotic, but hard to say. It's also, you know, so that could be, could be any ADEM warrior that that was there, but it also could have been Vachette. Could have been. I mean, it would be a pretty big coincidence, but there have been bigger coincidences yeah. in this book for sure. Correct. Not all, especially especially when they come to Denna. Maybe that's Denna's knack. <laughs> I don't think it is, but weird hair magic and <laughs> the other so the last one that I noticed and this is the one I think is actually relevant and it's completely a guess, but I'm going to go with it. Quoth calls his name his sword Kesera the poet killer. Dun, dun, dun. He's also the king killer. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not sure if Sorry, it's going to be. That. That's... Not sure if the poet king is maybe the king he kills. Don't know. I don't know. We'll have to find out. But I'm willing to bet that K. Sarah, the poet killer, is going to be that person or tied to that person somehow that sword name is going to be relevant because you got to think that Quoth to this point has never carried a sword. So if he na- if he's got two swords, one named Folly and one named Kaysera, the poet killer, well, where would he get his ability to even think he could walk around carrying a sword from the ADEM? So I'm tying it together some straws that may not have anything to do with each other. They may be coming from different bales of hay, but that's what I'm going with for now. I think that's an excellent observation. That's all I got. So I just have one question as we wrap up this chapter. Uh-huh. What is the difference between denial and refusal? Assuming it's the same meaning as the word refusal, but there's a subtle difference between the two. What do you think? As is, this is one of the distinctions in hand speak he's trying to grasp in this chapter. Yeah, what so- would the difference be? For me, it would be a difference of scale that if you say, if you say you're, you're not going to do, you use denial in the, in the sense that you're saying, I'm not going to do that. That's a much more casual thing to me than a refusal, whereas a refusal is a digging in of your heels. Denial, I can probably argue with you, but refusal is a, a degree of obstinance. That's interesting. I would have had it the other way around. Really? I would have said that a, a denial is denying more than just the request. It's more of a wall being put up. It's more of a hard no. Mm. A refusal is, I can't do that right now. Sorry, but no. Hmm. Soft no. That's interesting. Yep. Maybe we come from different cultures. Refusal is like, 
mm, no, you can't have candy after dinner. Denial is like, no, we can't have a puppy. See, and it's funny. I would Hard. use I would use them in the exact opposite. Would you? Yeah. We are not getting a puppy. No, hell no. <laughs> it's funny. I have to explain every day why we're not getting a puppy. Every day for twelve years. But what if we get a pit bull? That was the one today. Are you serious? But what? I won't let you get any There's dog. So much less work than now, other dogs. <laughs> now you want me to get a pit bull? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with we pit bulls. We love pit bulls. But. I said no to all dogs, so you're like, well, maybe if I throw in the pit bull? Because they do dishes? I, yeah, I mean... Right. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. so chap- Anyway, chapter 114 is called His Sharp and Single Arrow. And I loved this chapter. I don't ever remember really getting into it before. Yeah, I enjoy, this was probably my favorite. I enjoy chapter 112 with quotes, you know, the way he handled Vachette. I enjoy that a great deal. But I think this is the one I enjoy the most. And you know I love the story within a story. And we get one of those here. And I think it's a really good one. I was surprised, again, the first read-through, I was like, okay, that's interesting. But when I went back and I really read it again and thought about it, I was able to pull a fair amount out of it. I agree. And in the past, I feel like I've, I've not really taken time in this chapter. And this time through, I got a lot more out of it. So in this chapter, we start off with Quoth kind of probing Vichette about the Chandrian. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hell no, I don't want to talk about that. So we see that he's at least addressed that and he's carrying that quest kind of with him. Yeah. We also get the impression that she knows something about... Yeah or that there are stories about the Chandrian that she just doesn't want to talk about. We also, um, they also really start to get into why she is teaching him, even though initially she did not think it was the right thing for him to be learning from Tempe. And in the course of that conversation, the implications of him being in, in Adem are fully made known to him. Yeah. He starts to realize not only how freaking alone he is, but also just what kind of serious danger he's in. So this is the Pinky's chapter, right? It is. And up up until now, he's kind of been like, well, I'm trying to do something for my friend. Maybe I'll get to learn something. All of a sudden, he realizes, oh, hell, I, I can't just walk away from here. No. Like, mm-hmm. these people aren't going to just let me leave here. No. He's either got to pass this very difficult test or something really bad is going to happen to him. And I think he wisely surmises that he's not going to be able to take a horse and sneak away. Like Yes, and thank goodness we that he doesn't even really go down that road. He thinks about it briefly and he's like, Yeah, that's not gonna work. <laughs> like Right. You know. And also in this chapter we get a conversation um with Shane yep. where he is told the story of the beginning of the Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And I wrote a quote down here. So Shane, who is Mushmouth, and she says, Abith Nibeth my Bahabit. I wibbeth out vanitibi. Oh Jesus Lord. Double whipping. gracious. Whippeth Albeth Dubi, double wind. Whippeth Albeth the blood, double victory. What, did you not understand that? I completely understood it. <laughs> but can you do it again? Because it just was so awesome. that I. All right. I <laughs> you want me to do it again? No. 
<laughs> so come on, you gotta call. You gotta have a callback. <laughs> Listen to episode twenty-four. <clears throat> so one thing I found interesting, though, in this chapter, in the very beginning, when Quoth finally does ask Vachette, "Why are you? Te- why are you teaching me if you didn't think it was the right thing to do?" and she says, "You know things you should not," and that's almost exactly what something that Bast says about him when they're talking about the cafe. Yeah. And Kvothe asks, you know, why why is this such a big deal? And he says, well, you know so many things that you shouldn't, and then you don't know this really crucially important thing, and nobody even realized that you didn't know it. And so it's this danger of incomplete knowledge, and it's yeah. coming up again in almost exactly the same wordings. So he's got this partial knowledge of the the Luthani and the Ketan and all of this this stuff that we find out is the lifeblood of the Adam is how they survive. It's the only thing they have to live on. They can't farm. They can't really make money or survive any other way. And so he kind of starts to realize like, oh, wait, this is what like these Adam go out as mercenaries and send their money back to the school. And I'm not sure if that all comes out in this chapter or the next, it's, but that part's in the next one. Um, but that's, that's okay. But in this section, he's, he's just fully realizing what it is that he's done and what it is that he's gotten into and what he's going to have to get himself out of. So I just thought it was interesting that the same wording was used with his knowledge of the Fae and now his knowledge of the Catan. Yeah. The, um, the thing I liked, again, I'm all about the story within a story. And the story of Aeth and Reth... Rethi... I pronounce it in my head, Aethi and Rethi. Aethi and Rethi? I'll go with but that. But we'll just have to, yeah. We'll I'll go, to with, go that. with that. So I really enjoyed those stories. And again, first reading it, I didn't quite get it. I'm like, okay, this and she shot and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Not quite sure what this has to do with anything, but the more I I read it and sort of took a look at it, the more it started to make sense to me. So she says to Aeth, you know, Aethi and Rethi, sorry, they have this the first school, and this is before there is the Lathani. And Aethi has all this knowledge with the bow. He's incredible. He appears to have a great amount of knowledge of the wind. Yes, I caught that too. You know, in his ability to be able to read the wind well enough to shoot a ribbon out of the air, you know, so he's able to read the patterns of the wind. So that's clearly a part of their teaching. And then uh, Rethi seems to have this wisdom that nobody else seems to possess. And she gets into an argument, Rethi and Athi get into this argument, results in a duel, Athe says, I'm going to show her. Rethi just allows herself to be sacrificed. And you're like, why? Why would you allow yourself to be sacrificed in that scenario? And so I went through and I kind of thought about it and I, I looked at it this way. So she understood in, in her, her line that she says, Athe near my heart, without vanity, the ribbon, without duty, the wind, without blood, the victory. And what I take it that she's saying is that she understands the wind better than him. She understands him better than he understands himself. And her wisdom needs to be heard for all of a Demre, 
for civilization because it was a wild land with wild rules and people killing each other prior to that. And so she, she knew he would not listen, but she knew her words were necessary. So she was going to make herself heard, even if it meant she had to sacrifice herself. So she sacrificed herself to teach wisdom and to teach the Lothani. She spends three days, and during those three days, her words are more precious than gold because she is the entire wisdom upon which the Lothani is based. So what she did was allowed Ademre to be civilized and be unified. So that's why the Adem consider words to be so precious and that they do not spend them lightly because everything was based off of those 99 stories. Those few days of her words is what the entire civilization is based on. You've captured it. That's absolutely what I got out of it as well. And that was a beautiful way that you put it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also, and, and this is a little bit different, but if you compare this story, which is a very much a story about secular strength, the wisdom of one woman being the basis for their entire civilization, common sense wisdom and love, pretty basic secular humanist stuff. Compare that to the stories we hear in the Aturan Empire, which are deeply metaphysical. You know, all about the Lord gave us this and God gave us that and we have this and that from all these sort of, you know, demons and angels and all these sort of things. Just a completely different world. So I'm not quite sure if that's a statement that that Patrick Rothfuss is trying to make about secular humanism versus religion. Don't don't know, but it certainly could be something to look at. That might be a slightly flawed comparison because we're comparing kind of a a story about the rise of a civilization, not necessarily what the Ademic creation story is. We don't know what their creation myth is, if they even have one. So it may not be an apt comparison, but something I felt was worth highlighting. I think that's interesting. Um, and there's some really beautiful prose in this chapter, um, particularly after Quoth here's the story it kind of all hits him like oh my gosh they're talking about cutting maiming my hands which that's his big number one fear and he goes off and he just kind of wanders and falls into dark thoughts but there's a page where he goes through all these things he's thinking about and he's thinking about cinder and he's thinking about denna being beaten and he's it just was beautifully written and really shows you how the impact of the threat of losing his hands how important that is to him. And at the end of it, he says that he finally steps through the doors of sleep. And that call back to the time after his parents were killed and he was talking about the doors of escape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It just was was beautifully done. I really appreciate it. I think it's a really well-written chapter. The whole Athi Rethi story was, was, I I thought, was just beautifully written. So, yeah, the the chapter overall, I think, from a pure writing standpoint is really probably one of the the better ones in the book. Like, it really is. It's not necessarily the most exciting chapter from a plot standpoint, but from a writing standpoint and understanding, you know, a culture from example of showing, not telling, I mean, it's really kind of a master class. I agree. So chapter 115 is called Storm and Stone, and that is, of course, referring to the fight that we get to witness between Shane and Penthe. I'm calling her Penthe. I don't know if it's Penth, Pentha. 
I'm calling her Penthe. We'll go with Penthe. Least we're consistent. <laughs> Athe, Rethe, Penthe. So in this chapter, Kvoth wakes up full of determination to pass his test. And um, he also goes to see, to witness a fight between Shane and Penthe. Mm-hmm. And Penthe is obviously played by Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. In my opinion. Uh, season two, Sarah Michelle Geller. Season five, Sarah Michelle Geller. I'm down. I'm down with it. <laughs> so Quoth wakes up. He's kind of been through this like little mini fugue and he wakes up and he's like, all right, I'm just going to have to pass this test. Yep. Obviously. I got to so, go through it. Just to kind of sketch it out really quickly, he's basically, he's been studying at the school, but he's not accepted into the school yet. Mm-hmm. He's in sort of like a prep school phase. And in order to be accepted into the school, he's got to pass this test. If he passes the test and is accepted, he will be considered part of civilization, not a barbarian anymore. And if he can do that, then he'll have sort of made it okay for him to know about the Lathani, to know about the Catan, and he will get Tempe off the hook, and he will get himself off the hook. Yeah, and not lose his damn pinkies. Exactly. <laughs> so this was um, this was another kind of interesting part of the story to me. This is where Vachette talks to him about more of, just a little bit deeper into more of the origin of Ademre. Yeah, I thought this was interesting too. Yeah, and I couldn't help but think of the Adem as sort of like the Jews driven from Jerusalem into the desert. They talk specifically about how they, they were driven from their home by something that escaped memory. And I think whatever that is, is going to be significant. I don't think that's a minor thing. Like it crosses my mind and just my absolute crazy wild ass guess at this point is maybe they were the people driven out of mere Terennial during the creation work. I don't know that. There could be a million other things it could be, but I definitely think it's one of these things that's going to go back to the stories that we've heard from Scarpy somehow is going to connect to whatever it was that drove them from their land. Yeah, no, I wrote the same thing. Um, The Ooh. quote that I wrote down was, long ago, the Aden were upheaved from our rightful place. Something we cannot remember drove us out. Someone stole our land or ruined it. And I do think it's going to come back to the creation war. Could You know, the other thing it could be that we, and this just crossed my mind, we talked a little bit about in the name of the wind, we talked about why are these crazy ass things coming from the wet or from the east rather over these mountains, you know, and they are up along that storm wall line of mountains. So it could also be that they were driven from the other side of the storm wall by whatever the hell is driving these, you know, is driving these spiders and all these other things. So it taps into more of just kind of, this is part of where the frustration of P. Roth's uh, writing style comes from that we still don't know what the hell is going on with those stupid spider things from the very goddamn beginning of the book. <laughs> right. And we don't know what's on the other side of that mountain range. So it could be that they were driven away by whatever insane evils on the other side of that freaking storm wall mountains that's driving those crazy spiders or it could be that it's something that ties back to one of the origin stories from Scarpy and the Creation War. 
I don't know, but it's going to be one of those two. And those two things, by the way, could very well be related, and we just don't know. Well, I think that they are. I think that's all tied into the creation of Faye, the stealing of the moon. I think we're going to find out it's all part of one thing somehow. I I think you're right. One, because I think it would be good, efficient storytelling. The other reason why I think you're right is because we never even hear news of anybody crossing from the other side. Like, even in any sort of, I don't care what kind of crazy-ass mountain range you're talking about, people have taken their ships around it. They've crossed through somehow. Somebody stumbled. Somehow, like, news about what's on the other side of that mountain range exists. And here in this world, it does not appear to exist at all. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that we're going to look forward to learning more about in the future. Yeah. I think the the fight between Shane and Penthe, what did you, what was your impression of well, that? I have, I have one more thing in oh, that sure. little section before we get to the fight. Mm-hmm. So the last kind of thing I have there is, Fouchette says, a story is like a nut. A fool will swallow it whole. A fool will throw it away, but a wise woman finds a way to crack the shell and eat the meat inside. And I think this is Patrick Rothfuss' way of telling us that there's a lot of stories that are going around from Scarpy, from Trappist, from the university, from books. And you need to be careful about which ones you accept as being factual and which ones are bastardized or... uh, where history has distorted the truth. So don't believe all the stories within a story's whole cloth. Take your time to to read through them and think about it. Yeah, I agree. And that was a good quote to point out. So then we get into this um, this fight with Shane and Penthe. And Penthe is a, a newer fighter who I guess is sort of the rising star of the school. And um, I just love the action here. I love the way it's described. Um, I like these characters that come out. I love seeing the the growing sort of familiarity and bond between Quoth and Vachette in this scene. Um, and, and I like how they're going back and forth about, well, who won that fight? Well, mm. who won that fight? And he's sort of still coming up with the most obvious answer. But um, we realize that fighting is sort of like talk. Like the point is not to put the other person on the ground. It's to have a beautiful game mm. or have a beautiful fight. So... You know, a fight that ends with one dying of a gut wound and one dying of a sword thrust to the heart, nobody actually wins. Yeah. You know, or a fight ending with someone getting bloody nose, nobody actually wins. So I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel as well. And he's, you can see both starting to sort of get this. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the comparison to talk, but I like that. That's a good one. The thing I noticed through this section is just how sort of immature Quoth is. And how, you know, again, is, well, who won that? Well, who won that? Which there are times when, you know, when Vachette is like looking at him like, isn't it obvious? Like, like he doesn't, this guy just doesn't get it. But then also he's saying things like women are better fighters (laughs) with, you know, all incredulity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, have you been reading this book? (laughs) Do you even read, bro? (laughs) You know, but men are taller and men are stronger and they have more reach. And to me, you know, female, 
taller, more reach, stronger is going to become really important in chapter 117. Yes, it is. So at the end of chapter 115, Quoth asks, asks Vachette to find someone his own skill level to fight. Yeah, correct. And so we know that this is going to be this is going to be something be funny. Also, towards the end, um, Shane comes up and and walks over to him after her fight, uh, and she says to him, "Abba DB end, why be wubby I be strubuk? You really don't like that I keep doing that, do you? No, I love it. <laughs> it's hilarious. I promise, no more mush mouth. <laughs> Look." If you don't drive it into the ground, is it even a joke? Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, I promise no more mush mouth. <laughs> so chapter 116 is called Height. Just, I want to point out for, for, the, uh, for the listeners that the look on your face, the edemic hand gesture that you would have made <laughs> would have been sad disgust. <laughs> Like, I'm embarrassed for you, dude. <laughs> Highly disappointed. <laughs> I'm not sure what that hand gesture is, but I know what the expression looks like. <laughs> Look, I'm here to make an ass out of myself for people's enjoyment, all right? <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> it's your gift. It's what I do. <laughs> it's what I do. All right. So chapter 116 is called Height. And in this chapter, Quoth and Vachette have an encounter. Oh, yeah. We find out why she's called the hammer. Because she bangs. Oh, you're too far away for the I high know, five. I know. No high fives this Hold episode. On. There you go. <laughs> so Quoth and Vachette are sparring. He becomes aroused because he's, what, 16? Seven, I think six. I think my, no, he's sixteen. 16. You're right. You're yeah, right. he's sixteen. Right. And um, she's God. like, "Well, you're gonna go take care of that, or do you want me to take care of that?" And he's like, "Blah blah blah blah." He's just completely useless. He's he's standing in front of Losi at the Penny's Worth all over again. He is, and it's so it's it's kind of it's a charming little encounter, and and you know, obviously it's kind of highlighting the cultural differences here. And she's like, "Oh, you backwards barbarians, and you're." prudish ways and um a couple of quotes that i just loved he said one thing he says about her is vachette's laughter always ran very close to the surface yeah and i just thought that was really beautiful and at the end they go back to sparring and he's like okay but aren't i supposed to move in now like what what's going i you know he doesn't know she's completely matter of fact he said and he says so either everything is lovely or everything is terribly wrong and he has no idea. <laughs> and isn't that just being 16 all over again? Right. Basically, either everything's awesome or it's a disaster. I honestly don't know. <laughs> so it was interesting to me, you know, when he first started pointing that out, he says, after, you know, having dealt with Florian, after having um, laid with Losi, he says it's been three whole spans 33 days he's gone without sex. And look, how can you expect Butter Fabio to keep up his skills and to keep him sharp if he is not constantly supplied with sufficient toys for his love games? (laughs) Like, it's like, 
you know, until a handful of days ago, until, you know, 40 days ago, you hadn't ever had sex. And now (laughs) you're like 33 whole days. (laughs) What do you expect me to do, man? (laughs) He is 16. He was 16 before he got laid, too. Well, that's true. (laughs) I was like, okay, I don't find that to be an excuse, but whatever. You, You didn't feel bad for him. No, I did, did not. not have empathy for him. I had no empathy for him. And his 33 for, days of his abstinence. 33-day drought while he was 16 years old <laughs> did not. And then, um, so she says to him when when uh, they're, they're getting ready to kind of move forward, she says, would you like to have sex with me? Are you free of disease? And I'm like, if I had a nickel. Uh, I mean, every time I was in college, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said that, I'd have like 20 cents. <laughs> that much? hey <laughs> So the other thing I'm thinking is, okay, in chapter 115, they hi- she highlights and she's constantly highlighting how clumsy the men are, how driven they are to anger, and essentially like how useless they are. And then, you know, this whole, ugh, can't even concentrate on your training because of your stupid penis. And I'm like, why do these ADEM women even tolerate the men with their clumsy penises? Like, You know, that wasn't the, that wasn't the feeling I took from this scene, that she wasn't being disparaging towards him. I didn't take it that way. I was just thinking myself, like, why, why are they tolerant? They're, they're apparently no good for anything other than chopping wood. Fewer tits, wits than tits. <laughs> right. They're dumb. They're terrible fighters. They're they're like the derpy sitcom husbands. Exa- it's a whole nation of exactly. them. Exactly. Derpy sitcom husbands. Yep. Every one of them. In blood red leather. <laughs> they're all Kevin James from Stop like, it, John Goodman. Get out of my head. Ah, I hate see, you. See, you're, you're coming worst. around. No, I'm not. You're coming around to I my way of thinking. Not coming around. <laughs> <sighs> Over the line, dude. Market a zero, dude. <laughs> so chapter 117, are we ready to move on to that? I'm ready. I've got one sentence for this. Okay, well, the chapter is called Barbarian Cunning. Yeah. Go ahead. Quote fights a little girl. He does fight a little girl. So one of my favorite quotes of Mm -hmm. the books, you know, right up there under the little cheese quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this one. She did enjoy 1,000 hands, but she had little patience for it, and it usually ended up being more like 75 hands. And I'm like... Yeah, seventy five feels more manageable than a thousand. I'm 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 just I'm team Vachette on this one. Like there's only so much real estate here. I don't know again, I don't know what you think you're gonna do with a thousand hands. So you need thirty seven and a half dudes. <laughs> there's or thirty eight dudes, one with only one hand. Exactly. I mean either way, there's only so much surface area. What are you gonna do with like, a thousand hands? Like I'm good with seventy seventy five hands would probably be feel like we got you covered. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, there. One of my favorite lines is in this as well, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it's at the end of the fight, towards the end of the fight, when he says, "I'm not used to striking women," and she says, "How could you be? It's like you've never struck a woman before. Like, <laughs> you'd have to actually do it to become used to it." Exactly. 
But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. So a couple more things. So this kind of plot wise, what happens here is Quoth describes that sometimes Vachette just kind of lets him loose. He runs around, he explores and but eventually he brings she brings him a sparring partner and she's a 10 year old girl and the 10 year old girl proceeds to just tromp him repeatedly 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 so one thing that jumped out at me is he's talking about when he's wandering the town he often would find himself going to the sword tree and just kind of watching it. It's sort of mesmerizing. And the quote that I wrote down was, at times it seemed the branches wrote against the sky, spelling the name of the wind. It's exactly the quote I wrote down. That's a good one. So again, we're seeing this, the wind, it, like he's getting closer to the yeah, name of the wind. That's what I feel. And, and I feel like, again, I don't know what plot might develop from this, you know, so I don't know how this is going to end. I, I know it ends without him losing his pinkies, but beyond that, I couldn't begin to guess. But my feeling is that one of the purposes that is served here is bringing the, all that closer to his conscious mind. Right. And so we meet, and this is a name, again, I don't know how to pronounce this one. Celine? Celine or Celiane? Celiane. Celian, that sounds weird. I think that it's sounds Celine. like a cleaning product. It does. Yeah. Sal- Celine or Celian? Yeah. I'm going Celine. Celine. We'll go with Celine. Works. So we meet Celine and she's fantastic. She's a lovely character. I think she's hilarious. She's pretty funny, yeah. She treats him like a peer and he's kind of uncomfortable with that, but she is very she's very Lady Mormont. I mean, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, 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 very much so. They start sparring, and she is 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 well beyond him. Oh, clearly, even though he's he's an adult man. Well, and um, what we were referencing back in chapter one fifteen, when Vachette introduces him, you know, she says to Quoth, she has you know been st- her studying forever. Her katan is awesome, uh, and then she turns and she says to her, he's taller he's stronger he's got more reach and he possesses a certain barbarian cunning but i just couldn't help but note that she brings a girl and then what she says to him is exactly the the things that he thought would make a better fighter and then she proceeds to present him with a fighter who just absolutely mops the floor with him so this was a very deliberate choice of opponent. Right. And the at the end they they get back and forth a little bit, he and Celine about what the Lathani is, and because he's trying to describe to her that women in his culture don't fight. Don't fight each other. They don't fight anyone. And she's totally not blown. understanding it. Yeah. Does not understand it. You mean they have a secret katan. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at the end, uh, they get they argue about who who has a right to talk about the Lithani, and she says, "I am Celine. My mother is of the third stone. I am Adam born, and I am the one who will throw you to the ground." <laughs> and she does, and she did, and what just just a magnificent quote to end on. Well, and you know that Celine is Penthe's daughter. Do we know that? That's my prediction. That's your prediction. That's yeah. your assumption. Yeah, that's what I'm going on. All right. Um, anything else for this chapter, or do you want to move into your predictions as a whole? Well, let's move. I don't have anything else. Do you? I'm done. Yeah. Let's move into predictions as a whole. So the first one, and nothing that we haven't discussed here, but the first one 
is what we just said, that Saline is Penthe's daughter. So I think that's number one. Number two is what we talked about, about the Adem being driven from their home. And I'm going to say that that ties into the creation war. That's my... That's a good prediction. That's my prediction there. My third prediction is about the poet king from the small kingdoms. And I'm going to say that that is Kaysera. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's the that's my guess there. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and say that Denna did meet Vachette in the small kingdoms. I'm just going to tack that one on. That's a bonus. Just seeing what sticks at this point. Yeah, what the hell? Why not? What I mean, it's hell? not like these things cost me money. They don't? <laughs> you know, might, might as well, right? Got to swing if you want to hit the ball. <laughs> so, Good yeah, that's predictions, it. yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. So we had some listener questions. So I put out a tweet today and I said, hey... Going to be recording in a couple of hours. Got a couple of folks who had a few things to say. Uh, Nick Bolock, who is at Nick Bolock, and that's N-I-C-K-B-O-L-O-C-K. And he said, my goodness, I forgot how many chapters were in The Wise Man's Fear. <laughs> yeah. No question, just, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Because we're up to 112 and we're at, you know, we're about 75, 80% of the way through the book. Yeah you know, approximately. And then Rodney at Tatted Code Monkey said, has the Duchess gotten the uh, anniversary edition yet? Not yet. Have you had a chance to geek out at all the charts and graphs? <sighs> Soon. And then he says, Soon how many days in a span? How many spans in a month? <laughs> how many months in a year? Answer to these questions and more are awaiting you. I'm so excited. It's happening soon. So that's going to that's gonna move forward. Um, and then I'm not quite sure how to address Ian's questions because I think he dips into something that might happen in like... Oh, I, so, so I think his first question we'll have to answer next week because I think that comes up there, but... Yeah, he was cryptic enough not to give anything away to me. Right. But what was the second one? Uh, Quoth not being able to keep his stupid mouth shut. Yeah, he can't keep his stupid mouth shut. He really can't. He's a petulant teenage child. <laughs> in a lot of ways, he really is. And what was the third one? And then what what about the Mary Sue? So so here we yeah, we get into and I think this is where a lot of people get lost or really get into the the quoth is a Mary Sue because, you know, wizard ninja sex god rock star. I mean you know it's a little much. A, it's a lot. Now, you know, in my opinion, it still works because I feel like he's earned it. I feel like he earns the things that he has done, you know, and he's not coming to a Demray and all of a sudden he's the best fighter they've ever seen. He just got his ass kicked he's, by a 10 year old. He's not like, you know, and, and again, this is a character we're talking about who is an epic, mythic, Taberlin the Great type character we're getting his origin story so there's got to be some super with a superhero i think for a lot of people it's disconcerting because he starts off as such a real character very grounded and now we're and then we spent all this time at the university where he's maybe getting good at one thing now all of a sudden his story has taken off and he's blowing up bandits and shit 
you know. Yeah. Having epic sex with fairy succubus, you know. You know honestly. It's a kind of a lot all at once. It is. Honestly, the only part that I find even remotely Mary Sue really is kind of the sex stuff. I don't know what that says about because me. Because he was just so like naturally good at it. Oh, yeah. But we don't know that maybe Florian just feels like they're all, I mean, she might just kind of say that to all the guys. Well, and he might just be thinking that. <laughs> After all, Vachette was like, I think 75 hands is quite enough. Thank you. <laughs> right. I mean. So it may not be the sex guy. Is that true of many 16-year-old boys who think that they're just I'm sure when I was 16, I thought I was naturally good at it. <laughs> I'm sure I did. I wasn't, but I'm sure. So there we go. All right. So let me um, let me take a look at some other interactions we've had uh, this week. So Daryl Mansell at Sea Delicious uh, said, Florian is my least favorite part of my book. I thought it stretched on too far. Uh, it's This is why Name of the Wind is better than Wise Man's Fear to me. I would say that for me, this whole... Quoth's Excellent Adventure is my least favorite part of the books. Quoth's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. That's, We're going with the 80s theme, right? That's awesome. <laughs> How apropos. Like It really is. Right? So, you know, and like I said, reading it more slowly, I've gotten a lot more out of certain parts of it. But, and, and I, it would it would hold me until I got through Severin. And then when we got into really into the bandit hunt and then Florian and then a Demray. It was my least favorite part. And if I had to pick now, I would say it probably still is though. I do like it much more having done this very careful read through where I'm really kind of taking notes and stuff. But in the past I would have, I would have said that yes, name of the wind. I preferred that to wise man's fear. I I think I have to make that judgment when I'm done reading The Wise Man's Fear, mm-hmm. but so far I would say I've enjoyed The Wise Man's Fear more than Name of the Wind. Interesting. And I and I think it comes down to a lot of times the difference between you and me is you prefer a little bit more plot-driven yeah, story I and I prefer a little bit more of a character-driven story. Yeah, agreed. And Wise Man's Fear is definitely where the plot takes off. There's less character development. Name of the wind is the other way around. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's one hundred percent accurate. Absolutely. Daryl also said, "Hey, good job on the last dragon reference." It's funny <laughs> because he was actually talking about the last dragon on his Facebook page like the same day that we put out the podcast, and I was like, "Ooh, that's just really good timing." And that's how we know who the cool people are. That's right, exactly. That's that's the cool people test. So if you know who Bruce Leroy is, that's the cool people test. <laughs> so Patrick Sponagle said, uh, just finished up the Name of the Wind coverage. Uh, thanks to you both so much. And thank you, Patrick, for listening. Elliot Cosm uh, says, excuse me, Elliot is at Buddy Reads WPHD. And he said, the best part of finishing My Wise Man's Fear there's so much of the Duke and Duchess podcast to catch up on. Episode 18, Here I Come. Awesome. And I've enjoyed some of Elliot's coverage of the books as well. And yeah. he puts out a great series of videos. They're pretty entertaining. They're, yeah. They're worth watching. And they're not they're not super long. Like, he does a good job of kind of getting down to the points he wants to make. He doesn't meander. No, not like some of like us. Like some of us. 
make stupid mush mouth jokes. <laughs> so, um, so Ian James Crone says, end of book two, uh, bonus episode, f- fantasy casting uh, from both of you. And I think we need to update our fantasy casting. Also, we said we were going to put that on the blog and we never got to it. We're unpredictable like that. <laughs> Is that what they call it? Unpredictable? We don't say flaky around here. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing flaky around here is the biscuits. Uh, see, let's see. Richard at RJL Imaging, who is at Richard, I'm going to spell this, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-L-O-U-K-E-S. And he says, I love this series of books. Totally enthralling feeling like forever for the third one to make an appearance. And yeah, it does. Uh, I think we we're all in agreement that we are, we care more about getting a good book than getting a book now. So as long as it takes. Agreed. So that's the official Duke and Duchess podcast stance. Ryan King, who is at, Oh, I always mix this one up. Rex Alley Quid. R-E-X-A-L-I-Q-U-I-D. I love this guy for continuing to come back because I butcher his name every time and he still continues to interact with us. So he must be an okay dude. So he says, regarding the Chandrian hiding their signs, there is a place in the university where open flame is prohibited. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Izzy Kennedy is not fond of my casting skills. Hmm. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be political here because I have to sleep with you tonight. But <laughs> um, suffice to say, I'm not a huge fan either. Well, whatever. <laughs> when I come out with my like satirical, you know, comedic version long after the series is done, and I have like a 75 year old John Goodman as Tempe, you're all gonna love it. Yeah, I'm going to have a headache later, I think. <laughs> Rodney at Tatted Code Monkey says, Chad, I don't know how, to you, how you do it. I started to reread the chapters for this week on Sunday, and now I finished the whole book. It's true. It's impossible. I don't know how you do it either. It, well, I kind of feel like I have to. <laughs> like, I don't really have a... I feel very... It's very important to not spoil, you know, my inner, my reactions. So I have to do it. James C., who is at Hand Stitched First, says, holy crap, I got a shout out on the D&D podcast, and now I'm caught up with them as well. Well, now you have two shout outs. That's right. Now you got dose shout outs. And can I say excellent handle? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Fly Ride, who is at Fly Ride 91, F-L-Y-R-I-D-E, got in a conversation with this person who said something that I did not know that they're working on doing a King Killer role-playing game. That's pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. And Flyride said that he would be willing to do all the translating into Spanish for free. And I said, dude, don't do that. Like, that's a lot of work, man. Like, <laughs> like you got to charge a little bit. Come on now. <laughs> and uh, so we thank you, Flyride, for your contributions to the fandom. And those are... The interactions from our always excellent listeners. I know I'm biased, but I think we have the smartest and the funniest listeners. It's pretty true. I enjoy the interactions. Pretty cool people. I like them. So thanks for coming back again this week. 
And uh, we will see you next week. And what are we covering next week? We didn't. We usually say that in the beginning. We didn't I did do say this. it in the beginning. Oh, did you? Good for you. Yes. And now I've turned the page. I have to know where I have to stop reading. Next week, it is chapters 118 through 126. Okay. And unlike every other weekend, I am not going to start reading tonight and stay up until 3 a.m. Yeah, don't do that. I'm not going to do that. It's really difficult. You have to go to a kid's birthday party tomorrow. I do, yes. Um, At the bouncy place. Oh, damn. (laughs) Come on, man. So... If they want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. That's our website. You can also find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. And on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. We get a lot of interaction from folks, mostly on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is really, they make it really difficult for you to, they don't make it easy for you to kind of run a fan page and, get people to find you. They do everything they can to make you pay for anything you want that's going to help you promote. So the so the Facebook page has been a little slower to grow, but that's okay. And again, we love iTunes reviews, but the thing we, we covet the most is just tell somebody, tell a friend, uh, share our stuff on social media. That's how we're going to grow and that's how we're going to continue to get ahead. And we love you guys for all that you do. And I have a very short, very quick uh, top five question for you. A little quiz. I love top five. You know me. I'm a sucker for top five. I know you do. All right. So to close out the podcast, a quick fun thing. Top five countries where our downloads come from. Oh, you want me to guess? I do. You're never in a million years going to guess. I'm so excited. Oh, I don't even know. Okay. Serious. Game face on. Game face. Get you it on. You know me. Come on, I'm girl. I'm competitive. Okay. Top five. I'm going to say US, UK, Canada, um, Mexico. Um, and I'm going to throw out India. Hmm. You got three of them. Okay. You really? got three of the top five. Okay. Tell me which ones did I get? So here they are in order from number five to number one. Okay. Okay. Number five place where we get the most traffic from is Mexico. All right. Number four where we get the most traffic from the United Kingdom. Number four, really? I thought that would be higher. I thought so too, which is why number two and number three are so interesting. In number three, and has been in the number three spot for months, so this is not like a fluke rush of downloads we've gotten, Chile. Hello, Chile. That's right. Hello, Chileans. They're they're consistently... The, the number three place where we get our downloads from. So, shout out. Number two, You, if I gave you 100 guesses, you would never get it. Luxembourg. Stop it. We're retiring right now. 
That is and moving to Luxembourg. Awesome. Our number two spot where we get the most traffic, over 10% of our traffic comes from Luxembourg. Now I want a castle in Luxembourg. <laughs> we are big in Luxembourg. That's amazing. And number one is the United States. Shout out to Luxembourg. Luxembourg and Chile. That's awesome. We have really cool countries. I know. That people listen to us. Number in. six, I'm gonna I'm gonna give an honorable mention to number six is Japan. And I so we wanted them to be higher on Japan. the list so we could say Tonight, that we were big in Japan. Big in Japan. <laughs> we're not quite big in Japan yet, but we're getting there. I give think it, we're big in Japan. Give it time. You know who I hi, don't hi Japan. Hi Japan. You know who I don't see on the list? Sweden. <laughs> because of all your Swedish jokes. I what, told you that was not going to go over well. What we do to piss off the people in Sweden? I can't imagine. I know we have at least one listener from Sweden. <laughs> I apologize sincerely on behalf of the Duke and Duchess podcast. So Targaryen Trash, we, we apologize for all the things we've said about your country. It, they're a great country. They're good people. It's a little fucking weird. That's all. <laughs> all right. That's all I have. Good night, everyone. Shut it off. Good night. <laughs>